Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 223 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis, here as always with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. 223. 223. 223. Are we going to have this problem again? <laughs> okay, wait a second. Now, I admitted that I was having a problem with being able to say numbers, and you said to say 223. Well, I didn't literally mean 223. Oh, just like... If you, if you plant the idea, it's all... Okay, you guys, you know that I have problems with like any numbers above 99, apparently. This has been going on now for two years. I thought we were safe in the 200s, but apparently nope. we've hit your, like your stumbling block. It's episode, it's the two and the two. Okay. Okay. 223. 223 of the mom hour. Hello. Hi. Um, and we are doing one of the things that we love to do, which is answer your questions. Yes. Like our favorites. It is one of our favorites. We have really good ones this week and next week. So we like to do these in pairs. So today and then a week from today, we will take your questions, give our answers. I don't know. Every once in a while, I feel the need to give a little disclaimer that you guys know we are not experts. It says so right in the intro of our show. So this is more, I think, like an I, I picture it like an open forum for us to be like, huh, yeah, here's how we handled that when our kids were little. So I don't know, take it as always with a giant, gigantic grain of salt and the knowledge that you guys also have great instincts and probably are surrounded by otherwise moms in your circles. So we are just yeah. two voices and we don't know everything. We do. I don't even know how to say numbers <laughs> correctly. So you know that I'm not an expert, but you know what's funny about that, Sarah, is uh, so often, particularly when someone um, calls in and records their voice, which mm -hmm. is our favorite, um, just we just love to hear your voices, is that I kind of feel like they answer their own question mm. while asking it. And a lot of times then I feel like we just kind of validate exactly what they already said. Yes. So I think you guys, you know, you know what you're doing. Yep. You, you definitely know what you're doing. You know that we are not the end all be all. But I think as the size of our show grows and our visibility grows, like I never want to, I never want it to be misinterpreted that Megan and Sarah are prescribing what to do. Because we both actually really like being asked for advice. And I know I can get a little excited and probably sound more prescriptive than I mean to be. So there you go. I'm, I'm dialing it back today. You're disclaiming a lot, but that's okay. That's what you do. <laughs> that's what you do. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and we will jump right into these listener questions. Okay. So by now you all know how excited we are to have LaCroix finally sponsoring this show. Of course, we love that LaCroix has zero calories, zero sugar, and zero caffeine. But one of the things I love most about LaCroix is how many flavors they have. So many flavors, you guys. Yeah, I think I went the route of starting with like lime or lemon and then branched out to pamplemousse, also known as grapefruit. And then I just fell down this LaCroix rabbit hole and I've tried so many flavors now. So I thought it would be fun for us to do a quick little favorite flavor lightning round now. Are you ready, Sarah? Okay. Here it goes. Which is your go-to LaCroix flavor? Pamplemousse. One you're most likely to serve at a party? Mm, lime. The one you thought sounded weird, but now you love it? Apricot. The one that doesn't get enough attention? Mango. Oh, I'll, okay. It's a good choice. Now you ask me. Okay. Same thing. What is your go-to LaCroix flavor? Coconut. And what are you most likely to serve at a party? Also lime. It's very um, accessible. It also makes a great mixer, but we'll leave it at it that. It does. Um, what about the one you thought sounded weird, but now you love it? That was orange. 
Oh, I love orange too. And then the one that does not get enough attention, in your opinion? I think that's apricot. It's delicious. Okay, so Sarah, this is a great opportunity to also talk about their new flavors, specifically in the Nicola line. They have their original cola flavor, but now they've added coconut cola, cubana, which is like a mojito, and coffee exotica. And then again, these contain no caffeine, alcohol, or sugar, just naturally essence flavor. Curious, which one of these do you want to try the most? I am very interested in the cubana mojito one. Me as well. I love mojitos, and I'm excited to try a non-alcoholic, no-calorie, mojito-flavored beverage. I bet it's great. Okay, come on, you guys. Get on board with us and LaCroix. You can join their community on social at LaCroix Water. That's L-A-C-R-O-I-X Water. And for more information and a full list of retailers, visit LaCroixWater.com. Okay, everybody, if you've been waiting to jump on the bandwagon and try our sponsor, Epic Books for Kids, now is the time. My kids are back in school, and that means they've got projects and STEM learning and book reports and all that crazy stuff. Epic is actually being used in over 90% of U.S. elementary schools, but even if yours isn't one of them, we're going to get you two months free and your kids can start using it today. If you're not familiar, Epic is the leading digital library for kids 12 and under. You download the app on a tablet or pull it up on a browser, and your kids can access more than 35,000 ebooks, audiobooks, and read to me books. They've got a ton of nonfiction subjects like science, technology, engineering, the arts, and math all of which feature learning content aligned with the common core standards and everything your kids access is handpicked by their expert team so they can read and learn in a really safe, age-appropriate, and totally kid-friendly environment. I love that Epic lets you set up a profile for each child. So you just need the one account, but everyone gets their own profile and it tracks their time and pages read, plus gives them little badges and pop-ups when they reach a new reading milestone. I know that's really motivating for some kids. I had some reluctant readers back in the day who really would have benefited from that. I mean, we all feel good when a little badge pops up yes, and congratulations. I need more badges in my life. <laughs> so Epic is normally $7.99 a month, which is a great deal, but we have partnered with them to get our listeners two months free. Use the promo code MOMHOUR when you sign up for an Epic subscription at getepic.com and you'll get those first two months totally free. Again, it's getepic.com and the promo code is MOMHOUR for two months totally free. Okay, so our first question is from Autumn. It comes in via email, so I will go ahead and read it. Autumn says, hey, Megan and Sarah, I have a question regarding my four and a half year old. In his dramatic play, he's been experimenting quite a bit with killing the beast. Thank you, Beauty and the Beast trying to attack his sister with an imaginary bow and arrow, being the bad guy who's going to get mama with his powers, capturing the heffalump. Well, this kid has like a huge imagination. Um, and getting him with an imaginary sword, etc. He hasn't been exposed to violent content, and this is not at all something we've encouraged. Is it possible he might be picking up on these behaviors from other kids at preschool? Oh, it's possible. He may be picking up on these behaviors from other kids at preschool. My question is, how should I react to this? I've tried to at least draw the line at we don't pretend to kill or hurt people, but I'm stuck at where to go from there. I feel like he's working through the concept of good versus bad through play, but I'm not sure how I should redirect this or if I should intervene at all. Maybe it's positive. Any thoughts? I just don't want him to be the kid on the playground going after other kids and scaring them. Thank you. Yeah, we get that, huh? Yes. None of us wants that to be our kid. And for many of us, that has been our kid. And we all turned out okay. So even if that does happen. Um, so I'll just share briefly how this has worked in my house. Um, I really do believe that kids work through a lot of ideas through imaginative play. And so including hard stuff, including like Autumn says, good and evil, bad and good, bad guys and good guys. And no matter what media they've been exposed to, or maybe there is some of this play coming from preschool, um, the desire to play it out and sometimes to play it out 
repeatedly, like mm. almost scripted over and over. One of my children became obsessed with the scene in the original Lion King, not the new one that's out, but the original animated one where Scar kind of pushes Mufasa off the cliff, which is a terrifying yes. scene, by the way, Disney. Can I point out that I have heard, and I haven't seen it, but I've heard that like the new version is scene for scene exactly the same, but it you is. just get to see it like live. It is. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, and it's very realistic. So, yeah. and, and that child wanted to make believe that over and over and over again. And eventually she grew out of that. So what I chose to see was for the most part, this is sort of a phase and for, in general, I think um, working through things with imaginative play can be a very positive thing. And I think that's where Autumn was going with that. However, a couple of things to note. I do think sometimes kids can get kind of stuck in their uh, imaginary play, in particular kids who are very imaginative and who have a, like a whole inner world. And when I have noticed that, I have found that just little redirection or little changing the script um, on my part has kind of nudged them in or out of it. And if a kid is super, super stuck or they almost feel like it's obsessive, like they need to, like they can't move on until they replay this scene over and over again. I might consider just talking to somebody I trust or, or running that by somebody just because I feel like that's, that's where kids can get stuck. And then it, I almost feel like it's not as productive for their imaginative play, but garden variety, I be the bad guy. You be the good guy. I'm going to get you with my sword. I mostly let all of that play out. And what we chose to focus on in our house was the consent of the person being played with. So my kids know I don't like to have anything pointed at me that resembles a shooting weapon of any kind. And so I would just say for myself, please don't point that at me or pretend to shoot me because I find real guns very scary and that makes me feel afraid. Please stop. And so I've drawn the line for myself and sort of taught them to respect that. And and so it's more about the consent of the players than it is about any one given behavior. Is how And that, and that w worked for many phases and many years for my kids. Yeah, and I have the same like visceral reaction to having things pointed at me. I still don't um, like it. No, I still don't like it. And I'll tell stranger, like little stranger yes. children mm -hmm, to knock it off in a, in a very kind way. Yeah. Um, so I will totally like echo everything you're saying. I want to point out that because I've been doing this, I've been at this parenting rodeo for a while now, um, that I think that the attitudes toward violent play shift a lot culturally. Mm -hmm. um, I think right now people might be a little more on edge about it because there's so much violence happening in our lives and mm -hmm. we're seeing it in the media. And so it's it kind of does seem to go just like any trend, right? They There's always like, there's a, a spectrum of how people feel about it. And I think it tends to shift back and forth from one end to the other. So I've seen kind of typical advice all over the place when it comes to violent play and kids. Um, but what I also, I also believe because from everything that I've read, it is developmentally normal for kids to work this stuff out and that this kind of play has been going back centuries. It's mm -hmm. not what's going to turn a kid, you know, a child to grow up into a violent sociopath. Um, and it may not be inspired by them watching a violent video game or something. It, it a lot of it, it just is intrinsically coming out. They might be inspired by stuff that they see, but like that doesn't, that's not where it came from. Mm -hmm. Um, so my rule was always, you know, just don't run ramshod over people. Like it's not okay to get in people's faces and point things and engage them in play. They don't want to be part of, but otherwise like just make sure it's okay. And, and, and that's okay. And I'm, otherwise I pretty much stayed out of it. Um, now your kid's school might have a very different rule, mm -hmm. but I feel like if your child understands it has to be consensual, they're at least not going to be a playground tyrant. Mm -hmm. And even if your kid's school has a different rule, I think that kids are pretty good at understanding there's a difference 
between what's allowed at home mm-hmm. and what's allowed at school, or maybe what's allowed at one home and, and allowed at a different home. Mm-hmm. Like kids pick that stuff Especially up. Especially a four and a half year old. Yeah. So I think it's okay for the rules at home to be relaxed, but with this kind of caveat that everyone has to be in on the game if they're going to be engaged with. Yes. And then if at school, the rule is we don't ever do violent play, I, your child, I think will pick that up. And I don't feel like you have to change your at-home rules to exactly mirror those rules. I I totally agree. And I think when we think about it through the lens of how are other players feeling about this play, that is so easy to implement at home because, well, I had one kid who was very imaginative by himself and maybe he was over there enacting violent dinosaur deaths and he probably was. But a lot of times kids want or need a playmate. And that's where you can say, you can say very honestly, you know, honey, I'm tired of make-believing Beauty and the Beast kill the beast today. Instead, what if we blah, 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 you know? And so there's almost like this kind of play is often very social, not always, but often very social. And so if we focus on the relationship or, Mm -hmm. you know, your buddy from school looks like he's not having very much fun or I noticed this is scary for him. So let's find something else to do. It's not making the the violence itself or the make-believe bad, but it's recognizing that this is two are playing at this game. And if it's not if the power dynamic is unequal, we need to find a different way. Um, exactly. And I've also, I, when I say like, it's all about consent and someone can say no, I recognize there's very often power dynamics where a kid doesn't feel like they can say no because they're younger or they're, you know, they're kind of having fun, but they're starting to feel a little uncomfortable. And so that's where I, I just kind of always have an ear tuned in and I might just kind of breeze in and be like, hey, is this still fun for everybody? Because the same person gets their head cut off in this make-believe over and over Over and over. I'm just noticing a pattern here. So I don't mean that like it's up to the littlest kid to always stick up for themselves. I do think there's a, that's a learning process. But um, I think with one ear open and then just letting a lot of it slide by and trusting that it's most likely a phase, I think you'll be good to go at them. Did I ever tell you the story about when I was five years old and my friend Fancy, um, I had a friend named Fancy. I do kind of remember that name. She played over and over again that she tied me to a tree and burned me at the stake. (laughs) And my mom, I remember finally, my mom was always very hands-off about that kind of stuff. But my mom finally came over and was like, nope, we are not doing this anymore. Like she just couldn't. And I remember that really clearly, like being intervened for. Yeah. Because I think I was starting to get a little like, why? This is really weird. Why does this continue to happen? But I didn't feel like, well, it was Fancy's one chance. I couldn't let her down. Yeah. Let's see what I just did there. Uh -uh. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, my mom took care of it for me. But you you know, you remember that being advocated for. Yeah. Um, And it is sometimes a play can borderline get a little weird. (laughs) Yes. No, it can. And they do. Kids will work through weird stuff that will make you be like, ah, where yeah. did they hear that? Where did they see that? And then yes. I think you just wait a beat, just a beat. You don't yeah. like, you don't say, oh, it's fine. It's all normal. Like you still are tuned in, but you can wait a beat. And like, most likely it's normal. Most, yeah. That's my new, that's my new um, prescription for everything. Most likely it's normal. Most likely it's if normal. Not, and, see and, a professional. And it just, it's also, you know, we always get, we get so freaked out about what our kids are exposed to nowadays in video games and cartoons, but I guarantee um, Fancy was not playing a video game about burning witches at the stake. So she picked up on that. Who knows how? It could have been out of a book that was lying open on a table. You know, like who knows what madness she was working out in her head. But the point is that this is how kids do it. And it's it's probably normal. What's uh, Fancy up to these days? 
I have no idea. She moved <laughs> just, away. I never got to play with Fancy. I'm just curious if she's <laughs> tying people up. Just curious. I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay. Well, Autumn, you're doing a great job and uh, keep us posted on thing, how things are going. So our next question came in via SpeakPipe, which allows you guys to record your voices and leave us a voicemail. And this one came in just yesterday and I was really, really happy to receive it. And Megan, this question is mostly for you. It's from Nancy and we will listen to it now. Hey, ladies, I love your show. Boy, do I wish the podcast medium was around when I had littles. I have kids similar in ages to Megan, 21, 18, 15, and 12, one boy and three girls. I would love to hear what the family dynamics are having young adult children living in your home. My oldest and only son just barely moved out a few months ago to live on campus at the university he attends, and my second oldest is heading to college in just a few days. I can't figure out if I'm coming or going with these adult kids. I miss them when they are gone, but when they pop in at home with their independent personalities, I don't know what to make of it. I want my kids to launch and be their own people, and they are great kids, but some of their crazy and normal choices make me nuts. How do I encourage their independence and not let them get in the way of the rest of the child rearing we are trying to do at home? Any advice for me? Okay, I love this question. Thank you, Nancy. Um, okay, so it is definitely, definitely an adjustment. I was exposed to a term a few years ago um, called soiling the nest, which is what baby birds do before their moms kick them out. Interesting. So, and when you really, th- so like when the baby bird starts literally soiling their mm-hmm. nest, it's like time for them to go. And there's this this phenomenon that's been that's been documented and and watched and researched where teenage kids start to do the same. Often that starts to happen before like the launch phase that starts to be like the late high school when you're like, okay, it's time for you to go. But I do think in general, kids are starting to do some of these things later and later. Um, Some of the stuff that would have made a kid want to leave home and join the army when they were 17 before, I feel like we're just kind of circling around to it a little bit later now. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think that soiling the nest is happening like at concurrently with having left the nest Mm. and then they come home and like like kick it all up on the week like get feathers and poop everywhere on the weekends so um yeah so I guess I'll just give you a big like I'm with you I hear what you're saying um I'm there of my two adult children one has completely um launched like completely independently he has flown and the other is more slowly working toward it so I have to treat the two situations differently, which is hard because they're both adults. They're both young adults. And and I can't have exactly the same expectations of them because they're different people and their lives are different now. So um, I guess just to like commiserate with you, it is weird to have adult kids come and go however they feel like. Mm. Um, they kind of blow in and out. I've noticed in particular the one who's completely left, although he comes home every single weekend, he kind of doesn't expect to have to do anything mm-hmm. when he comes home. He doesn't really expect to have to participate in a family dinner or to ever have to do chores. And I've gotten a little bit of attitude from him when I've asked him to take the trash out. And it's it's not his job anymore, um, but he's standing right there and he's eating my food. Mm-hmm. Right? And, he, and he's still a part of, he's still your he's still, kid. You're still yes. his mom and he's in the house. I, and like he's part be, of the family life. Yeah. Yes. So I've had to have conversations like you can't just blow in and out. There's courtesy. Um, If you're going to leave and not come back tonight, please let me know. Mm -hmm. Likewise, if you're going to come back home at 2 a.m., let me know. I I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night and hear my door slam. It's like really alarming. And I feel like even if 
even if he, when he's gone during the week, it's not like I'm checking in with him every night saying, where are you? But when he's in my home, that's very different. So there's, there's a difference. And if you're in my orbit, like you're part of the family unit and you need to, that doesn't mean you have to be around all the time. I understand you're catching up with your friends, you work all week or whatever, they're going to school, whatever you've got going on. I try to be tolerant of that. But still just that basic respect that we're still your family and you can't just come and go mm-hmm. however you feel like. It's disruptive. It's confusing to the younger siblings. Mm-hmm. Like they want to hang out with the olders and they're like, why are they never here? Mm-hmm. So for the most part, that has just been an adjustment. Um, Do you, I'm going to jump in on. with a question. Sure. Do you feel like you had anything to compare to? So I know your older sister has grown kids, mm-hmm. um, but I, I could imagine this being a phase where there's not a lot said or written about what that relationship is like and almost feeling like it's uncharted territory. Like what is, what is our relationship now? Well, it's very hard to find. People don't write a lot about parenting older teenagers and young adults in general. So that's, it is hard to find, but also when it's written about people tend to think that like all young adults are following the same thing Mm. where like they all go off to college, you know, the year after their senior year of high school, after they graduate and then they're just at college mm-hmm. all year, maybe come home every now and then for a holiday and then they're home all summer. And that's not how it works for a lot of kids. Like yeah. that's not how it worked for either of mine. Um, my sister's kids were a great example because they're all, except for the youngest, there's three young adults and they have all come and gone, lived with her for a while, moved out for a while, moved back for a while, moved out for a while. They've all staggered, like gone to college for a year, worked for a year, kind of figure out what they're doing. And so they've all like adulted mm-hmm. eventually, but It's just been a very different on-ramp. And what I've seen is that her house and what I've uh, admired about what she does is that her house is just kind of this like haven and the kids want to be there. Like Mm -hmm. they want to come home. They want to see her. They want to hang out. Um, But they're not there all the time. They don't expect to be able to live there. They're not taking advantage. It's just if it's, it's like a safe place to land if Mm -hmm. it's needed. And that's kind of how I, I see myself. And, you know, like with their choices, I mean, as long as it's not directly affecting me, um, for example, being rude about comings and goings and things like that. Like I mostly, or if they're going to really screw their lives up, um, you know, if they were like on drugs or something, that would be a different story. But I kind of see this as like, I can offer you some guidance, but I don't really get to be the mom the same way I did when they were 17. Mm -hmm. And even if I were paying for their education fully or like, you know, financially helping out, which I am to some degree with both my young adults, Like, I still just don't, I feel like we're in this transition period. I get to have some say over how that money is spent. But if all I do is like, let them leave and live someplace else and then monitor them the entire time, we're not doing what we need to be doing right now. Mm -hmm. Like the thing we need to be doing right now is not me controlling all their lives, but they're just farther away. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't make any sense to me at all. So I'm available. Like if they need advice or if they want to talk about something, I ask a lot of leading questions. But as long as it looks like they're making progress and figuring stuff out, um, I'm really, I kind of try to keep myself at arm's length. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really about what that goal is. So my goal is to be a person in place my kids, as they grow, want to come back to and want to have a relationship with. And right now we're in the most awkward phase. Like mm-hmm. This middle stage is like, they will eventually, like, you remember how you felt about yeah. your parents when you were 19, 18, 19, mm-hmm. 20, 21? Like, you didn't have a lot of time for them. Like you didn't really have a lot. You didn't really, not that you didn't respect them, but like you were learning how to take other people's. Right. It's uh, that necessary separation. Like it's supposed to. separating. And so you didn't, it's just that they weren't as relevant. Mm -hmm. I don't remember thinking a whole lot about my parents when I was that age. Like it, they were always there, but like I just, and then later when I was a young adult, suddenly they became 
important and like, wow, they really knew a lot about this and that thing. And it was kind of like a big about face where I really wanted to hang out with my parents Mm -hmm. when I was a young adult. Um, It just took me a while to get back there. So that's Mm -hmm. like my goal is to get there. Yeah. And I kind of just kind of keep that goal in mind and try not to get offended when they act like kind of indifferent to Mm -hmm. me right now, which is happening. Yeah. 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 I love it. I have nothing to say except to thank you for going first. (laughs) And thanks, Nancy, for the question, because I I totally agree. Like sometimes it's really hard to to appropriate, put appropriate distance without being distant. I loved the way she worded a lot of her questions. Like she isn't trying to hold them back, but at the same time, she's still parenting younger children and has expectations for the home. So yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that can be tough too. Like trying to keep things like kind of trying to keep the wheels on the bus for the (laughs) youngers while the olders aren't really participating in or contributing to that. It can be really frustrating. And that's the thing to me, like those are the things I really put my foot down about because it's a courtesy. Mm -hmm. It's a courtesy issue. And like, you don't really just get to blow through here and treat us like we're disposable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But at the same time, it goes both ways. I don't really get to control their lives anymore either. So like there has to be that balance. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we are going to take a break and we will be back with more listener questions. It's that time of year, everybody. School is starting and activities are ramping up in our house. If your goal is to cook at home during the week, but you're having trouble getting to the grocery store and end up in the drive-thru more often than you'd like, we want you to check out our sponsor, HelloFresh, where you'll get easy seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door so that all you have to do is cook and enjoy. HelloFresh makes serving cooked meals to your family really simple. They send you everything you need, the ingredients all pre-measured and the instructions broken out step-by-step to get a great dinner on the table in around 30 minutes. It's almost like having a personal grocery shopper and a sous chef so that you get to jump in and look like the hero in a fraction of the time. One of our family's favorites is the balsamic fig chicken breast. So chicken breasts are like a staple around here and these are simple, but there's this balsamic fig sauce that you make and put over the chicken, which just elevates it a little bit and it makes it feel really special. Yeah, we like that one too. Well, the cool thing is HelloFresh knows that busy seasons come and go. And as moms, we need flexibility. So they let you change your delivery days, update your food preferences, even add on extras like garlic bread or cookie dough. And you can always skip a week whenever you need. So give it a try this fall. For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash hour 80 and enter the hour 80 Again, for $80 off your first month, go to HelloFresh.com slash TheMomHour80 and enter TheMomHour80. We are really excited to welcome back our sponsor, Love Every. That's L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y, all one word with the middle E shared. Love Every is an award-winning children's playtime company, and their products are designed by child development experts to be exactly what kids need at each stage of development. I actually gave one of their newborn play kits to some expecting friends of mine a couple months ago, and I was so impressed by not only the quality, but how many different activities were in the play kit and how well tailored it was to a really itty bitty baby. That's just not easy to do. But these kits are beautiful to look at and they're beautiful to unbox as well, which means they make a great baby shower or a new baby gift. Or in my case, birthday gift for a two-year-old because Love Every sent over the play kit that's geared toward 22 to 24 month olds. And I got to unbox it with my niece, which was maybe the highlight of my entire summer. (laughs) I can't say enough great things about the way these toys are designed. I mean, I've had three toddlers myself. I kind of know those developmental stages they go through. You know, there's the stacking phase and the phase where they want to fill, put stuff in baskets and take it out. And then how obsessed they get with looking at books that have silly pictures. I mean, I've been through all that, but Love Every turn 
turns these natural stages into genuinely fun things to do, both for the babies and grownups. So my niece was particularly obsessed with the board books in the box. They featured these really clear photos of toddlers kind of going through their day and experiencing real emotions, including one book about visiting the doctor and getting a shot. And she wanted to look at it and talk about it over and over again, which to me tells me it was right on point for what she's going through developmentally. It was really cute. Yeah, it's really impressive. The play kits start at zero to 12 weeks and they continue all the way up to 24 months. So they can really take your child from basic visual and sensory experiences to those early stages of vocabulary, imagination, and problem solving. And we've got a great deal for you. Right now, Love Every is offering our listeners $15 off new play kit subscriptions. This offer is only available for a limited time and only when you visit loveevery.com slash mom and use our code mom at checkout. That's L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y dot com slash mom to check out all the incredible play kits Love Every offers. And you're going to save $15 off your subscription with our special code mom. Okay, so our next question comes from Katie, and it is kind of in response to an episode we just did recently about families starting school for the first time, but her question starts a little younger, so we'll listen. Hi, Megan and Sarah. This is Katie from Hendersonville, North Carolina, and I have a question. My 15-month-old will start preschool for the first time on... September 3rd, just after Labor Day, as a walker. She's in their um, youngest class. And I know you guys recently did an episode about like um, starting elementary school and starting middle school, um, but didn't know if you had some tips or thoughts on starting preschool. Um, Would love to hear what you have to say. Thanks. Well, Katie, thank you for calling in that question. Again, guys, we love hearing your voices, love playing your voices on the show. Um, So I really kind of, this took me back because I... Um, started my oldest in a kind of daycare preschool situation about three days a week when she was 14 months. So just really very similar age. We made it through the first year with like a hybrid part-time nanny slash my mom situation. So it was our first experience with any kind of school or childcare, formal childcare outside the home. Um, And I remember she was barely walking. um, And so when you said it's like the walkers group, I just can picture this little class (laughs) of their toddlers, but they're not preschoolers yet. It's like, it's definitely like a hybrid baby toddler situation. So I guess I'll I'll cut to the tough stuff first. And that is that separation anxiety is so normal at this age and so, um, extreme at this age Mm. for many kids that if you wrote to us in three months and said, nope, she never had problems separating at all. I would say high five, but you got really lucky. (laughs) So like, it's so normal that you're going to come to expect it. And this age seems particularly hard with separation because they're starting to be verbal. I remember Allegra saying little sentences like mama, no, no school, stay mama. Like these little, like two, three word sentences. And you're like, Oh my God. They're heartbreaking. They're heartbreaking. So a, just know that it's really normal. Um, I think most schools of this age are so used to it and, and you can really just lean in and trust that however the teacher is used to handling it in that classroom, whatever guidance they give you, I think for the most part, I would say follow along because they've, they've done this a gazillion times. It's not just your kid. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. It doesn't mean that the school or the teacher isn't right. Um, the tips that worked for me were keeping goodbyes very consistent and very relatively short, not sneaking out, but not lingering for 10 minutes in the classroom one day. And then the next day I'm late for a meeting at work and I've got to like drop and run. So trying to like keep it short, sweet and consistent each time. Um, and then, you know, you can ask later, like how long did they cry? How long, but I have had kids cry for an entire year at preschool 
drop off and still been thriving in preschool. So when I say it lasts, it, it, it's not like it's for a week. For some kids, it's many months and it's part of the drop off and it's, it's hard. It's almost their routine. It, it becomes is. their routine. Like it's like kids can kind of get themselves like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they attach to an idea mm-hmm. that when mama leaves, I cry. But if the preschool teacher or daycare worker tells you that they stopped crying five minutes after you left, that is almost entirely true. Like, right. like do not doubt them. I know it sounds impossible, but that's so often the way it really is. It really is. And I, I really think that, especially if you've already vetted this place and you've chosen it because you like the people, you can trust what, what they say about this kind of thing. I have seen in a preschool situation, I have seen a couple of drop-off criers that I think that the school and the parents had to almost take it to the next level. Like, okay, this is becoming a little disruptive or this is, but that's, that's uh, hundreds and hundreds of kids I've watched being right. dropped off in years and years. And so, okay. So that part's normal. I think one of the positives that I really enjoyed at this age was the verbal explosion that's happening between one and two and the singing and the socialization is a really fun age to have them in some kind of environment like this. And the cool thing about, you know, sending a little toddler off to school is they're going to come home and start to be able to tell you things um, that happen. And I just remember I have really fond memories of a very young, you know, one and a half year old putting, trying to tell me little things that happened or sing a song that they learned at school. And and for me, it was the first time we'd been like really separated like that, where she was having this whole experience outside of me. And to this day, that's one of the things I value about sending my kids to school is that they get a something that I'm not providing at home. They get a richness of experience. They get to learn to, to make friends. And so I have fond memories of that, even at really little ages. But I also think, I think we've talked about toddlers and friends and sharing and stuff before on the show, but you also, you can't expect a lot from these first, um, they're still parallel playing for the most part at school. So if you are the type to get really excited about them making friends and being nice to their friends, just know it is, it is kind of a train wreck when you walk into like a toddler daycare room, kids are still (laughs) grabbing from each other. Teachers are running interference. It's maybe not going to look like what a three and a half year old preschool classroom will look like someday, but I still think there's, there's some really cool experiences for toddlers to have. So I don't know. Those are just, I don't even think that's advice, just some memories for me. And I think that like the only other thing that I would say is if you're, if your 15 month old has not been around a lot of other babies Mm. her age precisely, then some weird behaviors might come out while they're in the middle of that sort of hot mess. Mm -hmm. That is a 15 month old. It probably, I bet it's probably a 12 to 18 month class or something like that. And, um, like that's when kids start doing weird stuff, like pulling hair and biting mm-hmm. and, and, and I just don't give that, like, you can look back through our archives how yes. many times we've had to talk about biting or yeah. pulling hair and things like on the show. It's just so normal and predictable that like, it's, I wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't either, especially if you have a basic level of trust in this program that you've chosen, yeah. there will be a biter. Maybe it's your yep. kid. Maybe it's exactly. not, but there will be a biter in yep. a 12 to, yeah. And things start to really calm down, I think after two, but those, yeah. those one-year-olds in a room, I, I also want to talk about germs real quick. Cause this is another, I kind of forgot about getting sick. Whenever you're sending your kid away for the first time, whether you wait till they're four or they're in daycare from when they're six weeks, the reality of illness is just, it's just something we've all been through. And hopefully your, your, your preschool facility has, you know, decent policies around it and the other parents are conscientious, but it's, I don't know any other advice other than to grin and bear it, wash your hands and, you know, have the 
nurse line on speed dial because one-year-olds and germs, it's, it's tough. So I've just Be ready been there for that, like green snot. Yep. The green snot, the, the ever, you know, ubiquitous. Yes. Green nose. And if you have guilt about it, just know it would happen whether you delayed this by a year or two or had started it a year ago. I mean, it's going to, it's that initial kind of exposure. And so, yeah, green's not, we've green's all been not. there. Um, well, good luck, Katie, <laughs> sending that little one off. And I will also link in the show notes. We have one more. It's called Things We Shouldn't Have Freaked Out About Starting School Edition. And it it tried to cover a lot of ages, but we, we talked a lot about first early preschool experiences. So I'll link that up as well. You might find some more in there. Okay, so our last question for today comes from Jamie by email, so I will read it. Hello, Sarah and Megan. Jamie here from Apex, North Carolina. Here's my question, and it's a loaded one. All right, Jamie. My wife, Amanda, and I have an 18-month-old son and have already begun to wonder how we will be addressing gender identity and sexual orientation topics with him as he gets older, both specifically as those topics relate to him and also generally in the people he sees. I'm curious how you all have brought discussions about this minority group into your family. I think moms are the most well-positioned group to raise a generation of kids who are aware and supportive of LGBTQ issues. I realize this is an enormous topic and one you guys may not want to touch for a variety of reasons, and that's okay. However, one of my favorite episodes to date is the one where you two, quote, talk awkwardly about race. And that's in quotes because that was what we named the episode, which told me you will take on tough topics and ultimately gave me the courage to send this email. You both rock. I'm so grateful for your creative and real perspectives. Thank All you, right. Jamie. Jamie, thank you so much. I'm really glad you asked this question, actually, because it's something that's been on my mind. Um, but it's nice to have an intro. <laughs> yeah. Not something we either one of us has expertise in. So the fact that you asked it, you just kind of set us up. Yeah. And you and your family are welcome in our community. Yeah. Um, so I would be honest and say, this is definitely something I could have stood to be more proactive about when my kids were younger. Um, I kind of always took this really casual, like all families are different approach. And I did make sure that my kids were exposed to different kinds of families. But what I've noticed looking back now is that that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean we naturally encountered families all over the spectrum. For example, um, I've had several, um, male couple friends, same sex male couples with children but I've had far fewer friendships with same-sex female couples with children. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that is. Sometimes I actually think that moms are less likely to be recognized as a couple. And I don't know if it's because you just typically see like, I don't know, like kids look around and they just see moms as moms. Yeah. Like nobody really stands out. You're just, I've had kids say to me before when I would see them like outside of the context of the mom group, have no idea who I was. And I would say, oh, this little boy I was just talking to, Nate, was like, 13. And I said, Nate, I've seen you a million times. Haven't you ever seen me hanging out? Like <laughs> I'm Owen's mom. And he's like, well, you're just one of the moms. So I think sometimes like that might be happening. Um, but just in general, I think sometimes for whatever reason, we wind up with like one kind of person who doesn't fit that traditional nuclear family mold and not like the other. And then we forget that our kids aren't necessarily connecting the dots mm -hmm. like that just because there might be this way a family looks and that way a family looks. They're not necessarily then going down the line and going, and also a family can look like that and that and that and that. So I think we have to be a little more proactive about it. Um, and that did lead to me having some catching up to do later as the kids got older and had questions. I think the really good news is I think that kids are getting, are so much more wise and knowledgeable and smart about this stuff than definitely they were 10 years ago or, or 20. Um, I have learned so much from having young friends. Um, I do a lot of theater. And so I have a lot of 
young people in theater who mm-hmm. are in their teens and 20s. And that's really made me really aware of a lot of things like trans issues, which weren't something that were on my radar. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're on a lot of people's radars like 10 years ago. Right. It's definitely things have changed and shifted a lot. So I just keep trying to remind myself, like, I probably haven't said this enough. Like that's, right. if, if, when it comes down to anything like this, where there's no harm in me talking about it, it's a current event, but it's not like a stressful current event. Right. You know what I mean? It's something that should be talked about and should be talked about positively. It's not like, um, oh my gosh, we have to have this talk today because I need for us to talk about LBGTQ right. you know, issues. Like it isn't like that. It's more like, hey, it's a positive thing. Like there's this family. They're so cool. They There's two moms. Like, and if you just normalize it over and over and over, you almost like really can't do it too much. Yes. Um, and I probably could be even more... I could be even more proactive about that. But the good news is I think the kids are starting to do it for me now. Like mm-hmm. the kids are almost seeing it and normalizing it and and talking about it amongst themselves. Um, and I live in a pretty conservative area and my kids' school is pretty small. And I will say on these issues, like I feel like things have, are way, like they continue to just change so rapidly and there's so much more acceptance. So I don't know exactly if I'm even answering the question, except to say like, I probably could have done a better job with that, but it's on my radar that the more I talk, the better. Well, if I can, I think you did answer the question. And if I can sort of like restate it, I think number one, ideally we're surrounded by diversity. And unfortunately it's not always easy to be, to have representation of all groups in your kids' lives. And that's something I think about a lot in the area that I live. And so when there are gaps in the kids' experience, I think that's where the opportunity is to have those conversations, like you're saying. And so you, like, you've spoken to both sides of that. On the one hand, your kids weren't exposed to certain demographics and, and certain groups weren't as represented. On the other, as they've gotten older, their their circles have diversified and it's become a part of their lives anyway. And and I would think that in the background has been you with sort of a constant, um, you know, establishment of what you believe in your home, which is that all families can be celebrated and are great. Um, so I have a couple things to add. Um, I think when I feel overwhelmed about what to say to my kids about anything, next week we're going to take another tough question about um, violence in the media. And I was thinking about that. Anytime I'm kind of overwhelmed about what exactly to say to my kids, I try to boil it down to what is the most simple truth. And after that, I answer their questions. So to me, the most simple truth here is that love is love and that all families and all humans are worthy. Like that's the, that's my simplest truth. And if I explain that and then maybe take a step further and talk about what that looks like out in the world, after that, I'm answering questions. And I feel a huge sense of relief when the questions are coming from the kids, because then I can, it's, you can be age appropriate. So I'll just give a little example. We had a little play date, got to hang out in San Francisco with my college friend, Patty, who's married to a woman, Erin. I went to their wedding a couple years ago, but the kids hadn't met them and hadn't met their new baby. And so when we were getting in the taxi to go over there, I said, we're, they said, who are we hanging out with again? I said, oh, my friend Patty and her wife, Erin, and they have a new baby. And um, Violet, who's six and a half, was like, cool. And I was like, yeah, I don't know that you've ever hung out with, you know, two women who are married to each other. And she's like, oh, yeah. And then the older two, I noticed, were looking at me and their questions were about biology, right? Because they understand a little bit more about how babies are made. So it wasn't judgment, but it was like, 
well, hold on. And I just said, and I just kind of let them look at me. And I think they didn't know whether to ask it in front of Violet. And I said, are you curious about kind of the science here? And they said, yeah. And so I gave literally a 15 second curbside. We're getting in the lift to go over there. um, Explanation of a donor and a, you know, like the pregnancy. And they were like, okay, cool. So like, I feel like the questions led the way in that scenario, but it starts with like, what is the, how, wh- how can I boil this down to the simplest truth that I believe and share that with my kids and then let their questions lead the way. And then what they realize is it's not that complicated. Like, right. It's the same. This is the same um, technology, the same science that a lot of opposite sex couples mm-hmm. are using to also have a family. Like, so, you know, then they're like, oh, well, okay, okay. Well, I think the kid, the thing that we've, it's so easy to forget when we get all, you know, nervous, our heart starts beating Adulty or, about it yeah. is that the kids don't have, they don't have the political context. They don't have the historical context. And while hopefully they'll grow into having those things, they don't have them when they're asking their questions. So our answers can be equally frank and mm-hmm. simple without without some of the, the, what we've carried about some of yeah. these issues. And so I, but that's, that's hard to remember. It's hard to remember that this is a simpler question for them than the answer feels to us. Yeah, totally agreed. Well, Jamie, I hope that that answered your question and, and we appreciate it. Yes. Thank you again for sending that in, Jamie, and to everybody who sent in questions this week. Um, If you guys are curious, we have all of our listener questions episodes archived at themomhour.com. There's one page where you can see all of them. And I I lost count, but I think we have, I think we've done this more than 20 times over the, over the four years. So, um, episodes like this where we take on a variety of questions and if you're new to the show it's kind of a fun way to get a bunch of different parenting topics covered at once and get to know us um, so that is all at themomhour.com and I will link up in the show notes for this episode how you can look at all of those listener questions episodes um, and next week Megan we're back for more yeah we'll talk to you soon bye